Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. That's a, a really encouraging thought, just to know that, that you are listening, that you are here, and you never forsake your people, that you love us. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that as we open this uh, word today, that you'd help us with it and help us understand it and challenge us as well, because we need to be challenged. These things we commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Nigel said, we are continuing that series from Exodus. If you haven't been with us, we started it a few months ago, and uh, here we are today, uh, back in there again. Um, and uh, really, we're looking at chapters 15 through to chapter 18 today. So it's a fairly long slab, uh, and it's really made up of a number of short stories. And those stories are mostly about complaining. And so I think it's like something like 12 times in this text that uh, it says, in effect, the nation of Israel grumbled. Uh, and so it's kind of like the theme, if you like, of all of this grumbling. I think, oh, there's a subject that's worth talking about. Uh, I've been known to grumble at times, and uh, we, we all know what it is to grumble at times, don't we, to complain. In fact, it's probably fairly ubiquitous in our society, complaining. It, we, it can become like the status quo of our lives, something to just gripe about. It's probably made worse uh, by the fact that we're so... so you know, consumed or, you know, impacted by media is constantly before us. And we've got all these people these days that we don't even know. We've never met them. And they are telling us that we should be discontent. Uh, they are telling us that there are things that are just not what they should be. You know, uh, things, things are just not right. You shouldn't have to put up with this. And we, we, so we complain about the government. Uh, we complain about uh, the inconvenience of covid well, we've been doing a lot of that. We complain about, about the health system and uh, we complain about, uh, you know, the evils of our forefathers that have gone before us. All these things are constantly, you know, before us. And we complain about the amount of hours we have to work. You know, I think, well, my grandfather worked a 60-hour week, then we got the 40-hour week. Now it's back to, what is it, 38 or something like that. Um, and we're still complaining. You know, we, we're still grumbling about, oh, I've got to go to work again, you know, but I want to do all these other things. So, we are, you know, complaining is just a big part of things that with our life. There's always something before us. And truthfully, as I reflect on it, well, there are some things of significance that we need to be concerned about and maybe raise our voices about. It's not like we're supposed to be silent on everything. That's true. But there is a lot of stuff that we just grumble about as well, isn't there? And I reckon there's a great question that we should stop and ask ourselves, which is really before us because of this text, and that is, what does God think about our grumbling? What does God think about our grumbling? Hmm. Is it something that we should curb? And if so, why? And so this passage in Exodus gives us a wonderful opportunity uh, to jump in and look at this. And there's an upside to this as well. Should the sermon go a little too long this morning, then we won't be listening to any grumbling about that afterwards, will we? But... <laughs> So anyway, here we go. Uh, this, passage, this passage is about complaining, uh, but it's also a passage that is about struggle. In fact, before I read it, let me just, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, we've looked at the first, what, the, the first pretty much 14 chapters of Exodus so far, 
And I reckon now, if I, had, if I didn't know this story, you know, if this was the first time I'd come to it, the book of Exodus, I'd be looking for the exit to the story right now because it looks like, you know, it's a happily ever after story at this point in time. You remember how it goes? So we, you know, in fact, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, this is exactly where it finishes, you know, and for good reason, because it's, it's like the happily ever after story. Disney loves that. And, it, and so it starts, you know, we've, we've seen the people of Egypt, people of Israel rather in Egypt, and they're oppressed. It's, you know, those first couple of chapters of Exodus bring that out so strongly for us, don't they? The oppression, they're killing the firstborn males and they're making the, they put the people to work in the brickyards. And it was oppressively poor and difficult and, and horrible. Yeah, we heard that. And then God raises up Moses and Moses goes and he confronts Pharaoh. And then God, God, this is all about God, his power and his might and how he overthrows, you know, the, the Egyptian power and, and the Israelis are, uh, they're able to leave as slaves, you know, no longer slaves, they would leave Egypt. And then we come to the last part of the story, which was last week's sermon, the crossing of the Red Sea. But that must have been so impacting, don't you think? The crossing of the Red Sea. You know, here they are, the, the Egyptians decide one more time, what have we done? Let's go after them. And God opens up the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land and then the waters come crashing in and the Egyptian army is destroyed. And so for very good reason, chapter 15 actually begins with a song. It's the song of Moses. And it says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the, to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. Listen to those words. These are so optimistic, aren't they? The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. What a great song. It feels like it's 1980 all over again, you know, with that song, just uh, listening to that, you know, if you've been around back in the 1980s. But, um, here, you know, they're singing this song and they're praising God and they're saying, how wonderful is he? But then, this is the thing, it doesn't stay there. It doesn't stay the mountaintop because life isn't like that, folks, is it? You know, it goes up and it goes down. And three days later, we are told, we are told these words that Nigel read for us. Let me just read some of them for you again. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because the water of Marah was bitter. Therefore, the people grumbled against Moses. I read that and I think, ah, wow, this is a story that is about struggle, really, isn't it? Because it's no small thing. They cross the Red Sea and they head out in the wilderness. So wilderness, think about wilderness. It's like, what's a wilderness? Well, it's an uninhabitable land. It's a desert, as it turns out. And so these people, a couple of million Israelis and their flocks are walking across the wilderness and they get to Marah and they're fully expecting, I take it, to find water at Marah. And they do but it's bitter. How disappointing. Imagine you can see it coming because how, how long do we actually, can we live without water? Well, I think it is three days, isn't it? You know, and maybe they had some water with them. I don't, you know, they had some supplies. So maybe they were carrying some water, but 
is obviously running really short by now. And they, they, they see the water of Mara. They're walking toward it. And so there must be some jubilance. But they get there and they can't drink the water. Well, that's pretty significant. This is a significant issue. It's not a small thing at all. I mean, this is life and death. And so they grumble against God. It's actually, as I said, it's a series of stories here about grumbling. You move on to the next one, and it's the same thing. This time, it's about food. It's not about water. God provides for them water in that one, as we'll see a little bit later on. But they move on, and this time, chapter 16, they set out from a limb, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they set out. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would, just check this out, listen to what they say, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. Oh, wow, that's they're deep words, aren't they? You know, I reckon that there's probably a little lesson in that as well. You know, we sometimes when we're faced with hardship, we look back. You know, we look back to those other days, and maybe we see them through rose-coloured glasses. Because what are they talking about? You know, oh, that we wish we were by the fires of Egypt with our meat pots. I mean, it was terrible in Egypt. That's the whole point. It was oppressive. It was so terrible. They were killing their children. No doubt people were dying by the dozens because of the harsh conditions. But right now, they don't have any food. They're starving, or at least they feel like they're starving. And so they cry out once again. It is a deep problem. It is, it's not a small thing. We're not talking about, you know, uh, I've got a few blisters. We're talking about the fact that they don't have any water, they don't have any food. So it is a very genuine struggle, and they're grumbling. And then there's one more story, which again is about water. And this is Thomas in chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, and they came to Rephidim. And then verse 2, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said to him, once again, listen to it. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. It's got really desperate. It's worth hearing those stories. I love this passage. I love working through Old Testament narrative because it's real people. And it's their real lives, and we can relate to that, can't we? I reckon there's two lessons that I hear in this passage, right? One of the things that I hear in this passage is that it's about struggle, and that the struggle sometimes is really deep for God's people. So just because we're God's people, don't expect that it's just going to work out really well, okay? That's very important to hear that, otherwise you're going to get disillusioned. Just because you're God's people, do not think it's just going to work out really well. There are going to be highs and there's going to be lows. There are going to be times when you feel like your back is against the wall and you're going to wonder where God is. That's true. That's reality. 
And sometimes it's not even going to be that bad, though. Sometimes it's just going to be difficult and you're going to be, you know, peeved that things are hard and, you know, you're going to work as long as you do, as hard as you do, and, you know, a raft of things. That's true, but it's going to be struggles in your life. That is reality. But the second thing this story is about, surely, is a story about grumbling. That's it, isn't it? It's a story about grumbling. It's about people complaining. And they shouldn't be complaining. That's also the point. They shouldn't be complaining. They've got lots of things going on. But a key message that we see through this is that they shouldn't be complaining. Well, why not? That's probably a great question to ask, isn't it? Why shouldn't they be complaining? Well, because, you see, they have the promises of God. And they've also got an awful lot of evidence that God is with them, haven't they? I mean, you think about everything these people have seen. It's pretty spectacular. Could you imagine being one of these Israelis? Could you imagine all that you've just seen over the last few months? You've seen, as we've said, all the oppression, but then Moses comes and and he says, he says to Pharaoh, the Lord has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, well, who is the Lord? You know, I don't really care. He's he's the God of of slave people. But we see that God is the Lord, you see, and, they, and God shows up and there's the plagues of Egypt and Egypt is brought to its knees. And so they've seen everything along those lines. And then they have left under, under after the, all these miracles, undeniable, they've left and they've crossed the Red Sea. And so they've seen all of that. And not only have they seen that, but there's something else that's really going on that's very special. It's not just random miracles and the hunch. You know, it's not just a hunch that, oh, because of those things, I guess God is for me. No, it's much clearer than that. You know, remember that it's just, it's been much clearer that for a long time. Because right back hundreds of years before, as we've said a couple of times in this series, God said to Abraham, Abraham, one day your descendants are going to go to another land and they're going to be slaves there for 400 years. It's clearly talking about Egypt. But then Moses, but then Abraham rather, remember this, they're going to come out of there and I'm going to bring them into their own land. And then the book of Genesis, as Tom pointed out last week, the book of Genesis ends with the words of Joseph saying, the day is going to come when God is going to visit us and he's going to take us out of this land. Make sure you take my bones with you. And then last week's sermon, they collect the bones of Joseph and they take them with them because they're going to the promised land. It's been this ongoing promise that God has said, I will take you from here and I'll take you to the promised land. So they've got all of that, all of that, but they are grumbling because of the hardship. They should have known better. That's the point. That's a really important point. I got this quote that I read this week. I thought it was good. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live in a time when God's miraculous hand was impossible to deny? Surely seeing God at work so clearly would make us happy and content. So we think. Such were the days of the Israelites during Moses' lifetime. The book of Exodus and Numbers tracked God's dramatic rescue out of Israel, out of Egyptian enslavement. God wasn't only rescuing his people, he was ushering them toward the glorious land of promise. All those things that I've just said. But in this last paragraph, there was only one obstacle that prevented Israel from fulfilling God's mission. It wasn't Pharaoh or his massive army. It wasn't the entrenched Canaanite forces. It was it was the Israelites' grumbling hearts. Yeah, that's how the story will go. 
as we will see as time moves on, particularly if we move into the book of Numbers, which we're not going that far. But that's, that's you know, they end up 40 years in the wilderness. Why? It's because of their grumbling. And right here, they are grumbling. So this is a story, it's a really important story for us. It's about hardship, yes, but it's, it's also about grumbling. It's about a lack of faith. And that's an important subject for us to think about, to reflect on. But how does that relate to us? I mean, that's them, and we can see, we can look at them, we can poke holes in that for obvious reasons. But what about us? You know, move through this. Let me move on to the next point of the story. The next point of the story is that this is a story not just about grumbling and complaining. It's a story about God teaching them to trust in him. That's the point of all of this. So we move back. Let me take you back through those three stories again and, and pick up on how that works out. So the first story of Mara, you know, the bitter waters, and this is how it works out. And God and the, and the people grumbled against Moses. And Moses said to God, what should we do? And the Lord said, he showed him a log or a tree, in fact, probably better. And he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. How does that work? I don't know, but it does. God does that throws the tree into the water, the water becomes sweet, they can drink that. But then notice this in verse 25, it says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Oh, so that's what's going on, isn't it? God is testing them. He's trying them by fire, if you like, or by thirst in this case. He tested them. And this is what he said. This is how he tested them. This is what he was doing saying, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord your healer. Well, that's good, isn't it? What is God saying? I want you to listen to me. That's what he's saying. If you'll hear the voice of your Lord, of the Lord, I want you to listen to me. And... If you will do what is right in his eyes. Kind of sounds like that old song, doesn't it? You know, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What God's doing there is he's saying, oh, I'm, I'm testing you, I'm trying you, I want you to make sure you're listening to me. That you're remembering who I am, and then you're walking in obedience to that. That's the one thing that God wants from me. He's, He's trying their faith. He's taking things away. They're just making life really easy. Because when life's really easy, we, we don't really need to trust in God. And when, when there's nothing going wrong, when everything's tickety-boo, it's just so easy. It's like, no, God's saying, I'm making it difficult for you so that you will listen to my voice, that you'll know who I am. And then in the second story, it's exactly the same point. It comes out again. Here it goes, chapter 16. And they set out from Elim, all the congregation, the people of Israel, and then we, we find out that there's no food there. And they say, oh, would that we had died in Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Why? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, that's really an important story, this one, actually, if you know anything about the story of the Israelites 
in the wilderness because this is about manna from heaven. And it goes for 40 years. This is not just a one-off event. In fact, the narrator is keen for us to know that because right at the end of chapter 16, it points it out. The people of Israel ate manna for 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of, land of Canaan. So for 40 years, God is feeding them the same way from, through manna from heaven. And this is how it works. God is testing them. Well, how's he testing them? Think it through. In fact, if we read all of chapter 16, it'd be there for us, you know, as plain as day because it explains it to us. Six days, God says, six days of the week, you are to go and you are to gather manna from the ground. You know, take that back to your tent. Only take as much as you can eat for one day, God says. Leave nothing till the morning. But what happens? The people didn't do that. They gathered more than they needed. They left it overnight and it bred worms and it stank. And then it tells us, and Moses was angry with them. Six days you're together. But then, but then on the Friday, because the Sabbath is a day where you're not supposed to work, you can gather twice as much and it won't stink and it won't breed worms. And so they gathered twice as much, but some of the people on the Sabbath went out looking for manna and they found none. And God was angry with them. So this is a story about listen to my words, God is saying. Trust me and walk in obedience. There's a great question, I reckon, that, that sort of needs to be, I reckon it's worth asking. Why is it that God does it this way? Now, why doesn't God just say, you know, I'll just give you a week's supply of food, you know, and do whatever you like? Why does, he, why does he do it this way? What do you reckon? Well, it's quite clear from everything we've read. He does it this way because it's about faith. He wants them to walk by faith and he wants them to know that God is the one that's going to provide for them. Why does faith matter so much? And it's a big deal, isn't it? We, we come to Christ by faith. Why does faith matter so much? These are great questions to sort of reflect on, I think. See, faith matters a great deal because it's about relationship, isn't it? It's about trusting in somebody. You know, it's, it's, about, it's about saying, I'm going to look to them. Faith is about trusting. And God brings lots of circumstances into our lives so that we learn to trust him. And it's really important to hear this. It's a beautiful thought, really. God is a God who's not you know, just absent. He's not, just, he's not a God who just winds the clock up and walks away and leaves it to tick and just to run. Like God's involved day in, day out in our lives. God is not the unmoved mover. God is somebody who is not just an, a force out there, but he's a person. And see, the way that we are to see our lives is to remember that God created us for relationship. And God is the God of relationship and he created us for relationship. And he wants us to trust him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to walk with him. That is all the way through the book of Exodus, isn't it? It's about, I'm the covenant God. I'm the God, what does he say? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying when God heard their cry, he remembered his covenant that he made with them. So all of, the, all of this is about, I am your God. God is looking for Israel to have a relationship with him. And all the struggles and all the trials that they go through are for that very reason so that they'll have a relationship with him. And it's exactly the same with us, folks. There's so many things that come into our lives. 
And sometimes we, we say, oh, I, I don't understand that. I, I did a really, you know, I did something that, I've, that I wish I didn't do, you know, beginning of COVID. I sold a property at the beginning of, of COVID. And then I thought to myself, God, why did you let me do that? I mean, things have gone up so much since then. And I prayed about this. And I found myself grumbling, thinking, God, I could have made a squillion. But I think this is exactly what it's about, isn't it? It's like, I don't worry about that. You just trust me. See, there's lots of things that are come into our lives that we're going to say, why has God done this? I don't understand. Well, the point is, he is telling us that he's the God who loves us. And we don't understand everything. But we're to trust him anyway. One of the things about this, these stories is they're so filled with spiritual significance. It's, I, I have to bring it out this morning. It, it'd be just a poor show, Andrew, if, if I didn't. They're so filled with spiritual significance. This story about manna, it's, just, it's all about Jesus, really. Because you turn to the New Testament, you remember the story in John chapter 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And then afterwards, the people make this parallel and they make the parallel to Moses feeding them, feeding the Israelites manna in the wilderness. And Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them bread from heaven, but it was my father. But my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Oh, he's talking about himself, isn't he? And then later on, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, those hunger and thirst, boy, that sounds an awful lot like these three stories in the book of Exodus. And Jesus is saying, I am the water and I am the bread. I don't just feed you, but I am the bread of life. I am the manna that come down from heaven. I'm the one that sustains you and gives you life. And then later on, the story, the third story is the story of the water from the rock, you know, and Moses strikes the rock. If you read through, you know, they come to this place, there's no water. They quarrel, oh, that we were back in Egypt. And then God says, behold, I will stand before you there on a rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And then later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you know, Paul picks up on that, that story. And he says, I want you to know this, Paul says, Christ is the rock that was talked about in the wilderness. Ah, Christ is the rock. And I think the idea of what he's saying there is that just as Moses struck the rock and the water came out, so too was Christ struck for us and living water came from that. And so Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 10 and he says, so don't grumble and don't complain. Don't be like those people that didn't learn and they tested God and they didn't trust him and they walked in their own ways. Don't be like that. So that's the direct application for us, grumbling, complaining. There's lots of things we can complain about. Oh, I wish I didn't have to work so hard. I wish I could just retire. I wish, you know, that I had a better marriage. I wish that my health was better. I wish, oh God, why have you given me all of this? And we gripe and we complain and the problem with it, really, what is that problem? It's the lack of faith. It's, it's not realising, it's, it's living as if God is absent from your life. A couple of thoughts, you know, one, the problem with, with griping all the time and complaining all the time is saying that God is actually not a good God. 
See, most of us, if you, if you were pushed you, and someone said to you, I mean, you'd love the day if someone came up to you, you know, one of your non-Christian friends or your children or just, you know, a family member doesn't, lo- doesn't love Jesus and they came up to you and said, is God good? Ah, oh, God is good. Yeah, and you, you say, God is good. I'm sure you would. But then every time you complain, doesn't it sound a little odd? You know, God is good. Ah, oh, I wish my life wasn't like this. You know, it's terrible. It's horrible that all this is happening to me. See, there's a contradiction in that. So when we complain, we fail to acknowledge that God is good, regardless of what your words may say. Secondly, when we complain, when we grumble, we fail to see the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that God is at work in our life. He is testing us. He is growing us. He's helping us to see that he is at work through Jesus in us, and he's conforming us into the image of his son. That's Romans 8. Crystal's already quoted Romans 8 today, and that's exactly what Romans 8's about. He's conforming us to the image of his son. In fact, it goes on in Romans 8, and it tells us that he who has given us Christ and everything that he has done for us, he will also give us everything we need as followers of Jesus. Oh, that's pretty good news, isn't it? Jesus is the one that was struck. He died for us in order that his blood was shed and his body was broken so that we would have life, folks. So just like the Israelites, they can look back and say, well, God promised he's going to take us to the the promised land. He's not about to let us die in the wilderness, is he? We can look and we can say, I don't know what this life's going to bring, but I do know this, is is that God loves me and he's committed to me and he's conforming me to the image of Jesus and, and he is coming again and he's going to rule and he's going to reign and he's going to crack open those graves. There's going to be the resurrection and we're going to rule and reign with him for eternity. So they are the things that we remember. That's the beautiful thing, isn't it? And so that when we, when we complain, we fail to realise the greater reality. When we complain, we fail to realise that God is good. And when we complain, we fail to remember the greater reality. And that's why we shouldn't complain. And just one final thought in this passage, that last passage that Nigel read for us, the story of Jethro. It's a beautiful story because it's actually about blessing when we realise that God is good, and the way that we encourage others when we articulate that God is good. Because that's how it goes. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God, he'd heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people and how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. And then we'll just skip forward quite a few verses and we come here to, We come here to uh, verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh. And then it says, and, to, and, and then the, Moses told his father-in-law about all the hardship that had come upon them on the way. That's exactly what we've been talking about this morning. But how the Lord had delivered him, had delivered them. And then it says in verse 10, then Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods because because in this affair, they have dealt arrogantly with the people and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God and Aaron and came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses with Moses' father-in-law before God. I really think that's a really beautiful story. It's about his Jethro. We don't know much about him other than the fact that he's a Midianite, so he's not a Jew. Uh, he's not a Jew. He's not one of God's people. 
It seems like he probably does have some idea of who God is. His name is also called Ruel, which means friend of God. He's a, he's a priest of Midian, but he's a leader there. But he hears of what God has done, and he comes to Moses, and Moses said, God has been so good. He's delivered us from Egypt, and he's delivered us along the way. Look at this, the water, the manna. How good is God? And what happens? Jethro worships God. It causes Jethro to worship God. I think, well, that's a good point, isn't it? It's a good, it's a good story to end on. Because I think, oh, I want to impact people with the gospel. I want to impact my children with the gospel. I want to impact others with the gospel. And the way that I do that is by saying in the midst of all the struggle, you know what? God is good. And actually living in such a way where I stop grumbling, I stop complaining about everything, but I reframe things. And yes, there's things of significance we need to address. You know, it's not saying shut up and don't ever say anything. But the difference is saying, it might be things, but God is God. He sits on the throne, he's good, and he loves me. And so I'm going to live a life that actually reflects that. And if I reflect that, if Jethro's story is anything to go by, it impacts other people. And they become worshippers, and they say, how good is God? See, that's what our world's looking for. I think our world is, is looking for something they can trust in and throw their lot in with. And we get the opportunity to go one of two ways. We can either say, ah, woe is me, grumble, grumble. Or we can say, God is good, you know, and I can be optimistic about the future. I reckon that's going to be a powerful thing as people do life with you, as they see that you are somebody that's different because you have a God that you trust in, a God is good and a God that you can love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text and for what it teaches us on the subject of grumbling. Lord, forgive us because we grumble. We are like the Israelites. We lose perspective and we forget because we feel overwhelmed by everything that you are God. Lord, help us with this. Help us to trust you, to look to you and to be different. Lord, show us where we need to change and help us to change, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.